it really kind of changes the scope of public education in, in the state as a whole. And so our concern is that how will it, what do we do to make sure that it doesn't adversely affect public education in the state of Alabama? I haven't heard the, the answer to that yet. And, you know, I, I would really like to see us have some dialogue in Montgomery on that particular issue because it is an issue. Welcome in, kiddos. It is uh, the return of your favorite political podcast. That is Alabama Politics This Week, brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Uh, the fine folks over at Wind Creek have uh, continuing to, to sponsor. I mean, it's uh, it's fan every week. I think. Oh, this is the week they're going to call and cancel. Uh, but no, uh, no, it's no, actually it's a it's a good it's a good partnership. We're uh, we're, yeah. we're we're good. Uh, we like them. Uh, they like us. Yeah. It's uh, we have we're of like minds on the uh, on the gambling front. I think in this state, mm-hmm. and uh, and we appreciate. Uh, the good service that uh, the Wind Creek folks do. They just had their, their big powwow, the Porch Creeks did. Uh, uh, they had their powwow for the year in which they invite the community and they give away a bunch of food, have food for everybody. Anybody wants to come. and uh, it's, a, it's a great, great community service for the folks around there. And they, uh, they do a great job of that. And they do a great job of, of contributing to the local communities all, all around. I know they're, they're up in, in the Huntsville area where we are, yep. uh, especially around Atmore. I mean, I, I went down and, and looked at Atmore one time, you know, and, and did a story about the impact of of the tribe and the, the gambling operations that they have, and how it's changed the lives of a lot of people around there, and and reshaped that town, mm-hmm. um, and and provided services for that town that are that they never had before. They they've never experienced those things before, and and it's just it's really really kind of remarkable what they what they have done, and and honestly, given the history of not not just the Porch Creeks, but of Native Americans in general, to see that level of of success, and then to know that they, after even after the mistreatment and everything, that they then kind of gave back to, or not kind of did give back so much to to the local communities and folks around them, is really. Um, it, it, it's really kind of inspiring, honestly. It really, it really is. Because uh, I mean, the last thing I would have done, you know, whether they kicked me and my, you know, my family for you know generations or whatever. It's you know, I, I would have. You you would think you would be just just bitter and angry and, and and you know looking to hold it all in and uh, and gain as much power as possible. But that's they've taken a different approach and they're, they're good people. Well, you know the uh, the prosperity of the tribe is absolutely to be admired. Uh, as you're saying, it happened under, you know, under, uh, you know, less than, than fair and equitable circumstances. And the fact that uh, our Porch Creek uh, sisters and brothers have been able to establish themselves so well in the state of Alabama that the state of Alabama is actually benefiting, is actually yeah. benefiting. Our economy yeah. is benefiting from uh, their their prosperity in ways that uh, perhaps we would not see otherwise, you know. And I, and if, you know, when I drive through downtown Huntsville, I think about that sometimes. Just you know, some of the growth and development that we see there is a direct result of the prosperity of the Porch Creek Indians. So, yeah, our our sisters mm-hmm. and brothers with the tribe are to be commended without question. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, they are. And and listen, if you'd like to go, uh, you know, I know this. I know gambling's not for for everybody, mm-hmm. and and that's fine. Uh, but they they run high quality hotels and in, in gambling locations around the state. Uh, their their locations have a number of different entertainment. Uh, opportunities for you to go. I mean, go and you can go check out a show at some of these places. Um, you know, I, remember, I know not uh, not too long ago, Chris Tucker was at, uh, I believe, in Wetumpka uh, mm. at the one. And so, you know, Smokey. I mean, when you can get Smokey, come on. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's a good show. And so, you know, check that, check that out. Check out, just look up their locations in Atmore, Wetumpka, and Montgomery. Look up what they have, what they offer. Look at the facilities. Look at what they what you can do. Look at the dining options that they have. Look at the spa options that they have. I know Dave is big on the spa options. I am. Um, I really yeah, am. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. They're yeah. they're top of the line. Uh, they do a great job. So so look them up and y'all y'all go go book a book a time to go go watch some football games in the in the sports bars. Uh, go play some games. Go to the movie theaters, to the bowling alley that they have in, in a couple of the locations. Mm-hmm. Just go and do it. Uh, and and you know, listen while you're there, mentioning that you heard it on the podcast. Please. You're not going to get anything for that, but you know, we might. Especially, and so, wouldn't you like to help us? Especially if you're a man and you go to the spa, tell them that I, David Person, recommended that you get a facial and a manicure at least and a good massage. I'm telling you, those things those things are life-changing, man. I'm telling Didn't you. Didn't you see somebody walking into the spa and saying, hey, a David Person sent me? And they're like, who? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> yeah, who? Oh, great, David. All right, cool. Well, there's yeah. this podcast, huh? Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, listen, they know. They know the podcast. Everybody knows the podcast at this point. All right. Let's uh, let's get into the uh, into the show. And yeah. as we discussed prior to to coming on, there there's not surprisingly, there is not a whole lot of of state specific political news going on. Uh, and there hasn't been for for some time. Well, yeah, you we I guess we could quibble of whether or not we, you know, the maybe the weed, uh the medical marijuana uh commission uh you know going through their process which they've now tossed out those scores that we paid, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars for. Mm. Uh and they've started over now with with basically hearings, I guess, that they're going to have presentations and they're going to talk to the people that are trying to get licenses and and they're going to make decisions from those. Uh and then from them actually reading the applications themselves and judging who might be the best to to do this, which, you know, how about that? They're doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but really, that's that's the only thing right now. And, you know, I, and I don't know how much into the weeds we want to get on weed. Mm. Um, and, you know, because, you know, come on. Um, and so, but yeah, well, i tell you one place I would like to start. Because I heard this over and over and over for the past, you know, week or so. Well, two weeks, maybe. Maybe, maybe longer than that. And that is the Republicans continuing to dog Bidenomics. As you hear it, oh, it's the, the Bidenomics. Bidenomics is killing us. It's killing us. Uh, it, this, you know, the, the economy under Joe Biden is uh, it's just a shell of what it was under Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, it's, it, people are, are, are struggling out here. Uh, they're, they're basically being smushed by this economy. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> I mean, what what are y'all talking about? Uh, right as we speak, and, and we can we can verify this with a number of different uh, statistics that from uh, nonpartisan sources and from just basic reality. As we speak, GDP growth is through the roof. Okay, 
Uh, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the history of this country right now. Every month they expect the job numbers to go down and every month they go up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Every month they go up. Wages are rising at a higher rate than most people have seen in their lifetimes. All right. That's real money going to people working every mm -hmm. day. All right. There has been a return of the union out there. All right. This is a grand time for unions all across the country. And it's because workers all of a sudden have some power and they're starting to understand the power of their voice in this process uh, of getting paid and how continuing to relinquish that voice got them to where they are today, where CEOs and executives are making 300 times what the average worker's making. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have all we have that going on. Uh, gas prices, which have absolutely zero to do with the economy and what the president's doing, but by God, everybody likes to bring it up. And I paid 240 something the other day for gas. I don't know. So you can't be bitching about that. Uh, inflation is lower in the United States than it is in all the other industrialized countries. Hmm. And we have done a better job of recovering from the pandemic than any of our fellow partners in the G7. So, where is this Bidenomics killing people? Yeah, well, I mean, as you're pointing out, statistically, it doesn't hold, the argument doesn't hold up. And I think, uh, really, um, a lot of this can be attributed to the fact that the 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 uh, the Republican the standard re Republican and conservative talking point since the Reagan years has been that um, you know trickle economic trickle down economics works you know in other words let's mm -hmm. let's make sure that the people who are already prospering are pro are prospering at the maximum level of, of prosperity possible. And that way, then everybody else benefits. That's the hierarchy. It should start at the top, and it should trickle down. Well, mm -hmm. you know, the liberal, progressive, and, and, and usually democratic, you know, point of view has been just the opposite. You know, the rich have theirs, and that's fine. We don't, we don't have a problem with people being rich, but we want to see the rich pay their fair share. And we believe that the government levers that uh that that have impact on the economy should be weighted toward the poor and the middle class mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. let's grow the economy from the ground up not from the top down and because um that typically happens under democrats you know because of the policies that that democrats tend to espouse uh you know they're they're running with this uh the, you know this 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 another you know they're retreading uh this trickle down Reaganomics thing, and um, you know, like you're saying, statistically, it doesn't hold up. I just wonder, you know, I wonder what it would take. Sometimes, you know, that that's, uh, and I think about that a lot in this in in the context of this state. Where, where's the where's the tipping point for some of this stuff? Because I mean, let's be honest, uh, trickle down economics has never worked a day, not a single day. It's never benefited anybody. Uh, out there at all. If you look at, at what happened uh, in, in that particular time period, there was a surplus that would, could be tapped into uh, by Ronald Reagan uh, and, and Republicans that allowed them to cut taxes to an extent that flooded the market with, with money. And, and they were able to do that for a period of time until uh, they started to grow that deficit 
really, really large. And at the end of, of Reagan's tenure, everybody seems to forget that we were basically in a recession uh, because of the way he had done things for so long. That was the penalty for doing it that way. Um, you know, compare that to some of the greatest gains in our economy. Um, we can start with FDR. Uh, we could start, you know, uh, at, at that time, we start with the GI, or you could go to the GI Bill. Um, you could go to the Obama years. Uh, hell, you could go to the Biden years, for that matter, it seems now. Uh, and you look at those policies and where, what they focus on, and they focus on a bottom-up approach, lifting people up. And, and, and you know, if, and I, I make this case, I made this case the other day to, to a lot of people. I said, all right, let's, in this state alone, Okay, let, let's focus on Alabama specific problems. All right, you, we have this workforce participation problem, right? You hear them talk about it all the time. Oh, you know, our unemployment numbers are down, but our workforce participation rate is terrible. Uh, you know, we, we, we just can't get people in the workforce. Well, we had a solution for that. And your Republicans defeated that solution, which was childcare. We had a childcare tax credit that would have kept. I guarantee you it would have kept a large percentage of those people in the workforce if they knew that they were, were able to get a tax break on what they're having to pay for child care out there. Or if, they if there was some sort of a supplement every week that they could tap into to pay for at least a portion of the child care that is crippling in places around here. That's when you start doing basic math, if you're at the house and you say, I could work, I could do this work from home job for a fraction of what I was making at my other job and remove what I'm paying per month in childcare. And I come out ahead. Who the hell is going to go take the job? Nobody. I mean, you have the benefit of raising your child at home yourself and not sending them off you know, to, to a daycare. And I don't care how good the daycare is. You always feel better if you're at home with your kid and you know what they're doing and all that. All right. You, you do. And, and, you know, they're, and that's not disparaging a single daycare at all. Our, my child has had great experiences with the daycares that we put her in uh, prior to her going off to, to the great public school that she is currently in. And, you know, and so... But when you look at the, you know, you have the freedom to do this. You have the freedom of working from home. You have, you're making more money because you're not paying that, that crazy. I mean, we were paying, we were paying like 12 grand a year for, for daycare, you know? Uh, it just, you know, I just... I don't know, man. It, and so we, what I'm saying is, is when you focus on the bottom up of that, you affect so many more people and you don't have to wait on it to trickle down or see if it might trickle down or instead might go instead into, into stock buybacks and, you know, into greater dividends. Uh, and that's the difference in the two systems and the two lines of thinking. And if you look back historically, there has never been a time where a Democrat left office with a worse economy than he inherited. What you just said is, um, I think, is, uh, is really the key here, because you started off saying, what would it take? What, what, you know, what would it take for people to get it and to understand? And I think the, the onus falls on us, meaning those of us who are Democrats, those of us who are liberal, progressive, 
those of us in the media like yourself and myself who are liberal progressive, the onus is on us to communicate that messaging. It's on the Democratic Party. You know, what you just said should be something that should be a standard talking point. It should be a standard talking point. You know, mm-hmm. the messaging, you know, through commercial advertising, uh, it, should be, it should be a standard part of any Democratic media campaign. And quite honestly, I don't see the Democratic Party, and it just, it really frustrates me, quite honestly. The Democratic Party does not seem to be thinking from a messaging standpoint about just communicating the facts, man. Just communicate the facts. Where is the National Democratic Party on this? Where is Jamie, um, what's his name? The the, the chair of the party. I can't remember his name, but- Harrison. Harrison, okay. What, where is he? What are they yeah. doing? Yeah, you know, I, I it, that, it, it that's funny. Me. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I've never really thought about it. But, you know, you see Rona McDaniel run out there you all know, the every other time. week. All the time. On Fox and, News know, or wherever. Yeah, why, why ain't Harrison on a Sunday morning Fox talk show or a Sunday morning, you know, news show somewhere talking about the, the Democratic points and, and refuting some of the Republican nonsense? And, you know— that's often been the case where where you know the the Republicans will talk about how oh well, it's the liberal media the liberal media is out there doing this or whatever but you know the one thing that Democrats lack is a focused media PR arm that yep. is able to to effectively communicate the positions of the party and and of of the politicians within the party. Um, and, and get that those talking points out in front of the American people in a in, in a systematic, reliable, cohesive way yep. to create the sort of a, a fact bubble uh, that that you know, that we need to counteract the misinformation bubble that mm-hmm. comes from the right. And, and because you you have these places like Fox News and OAN and you know, Newsmax and you know these things that you hear from your crazy uncles and uh, stuff that are, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the counter to the liberal media. That's what that is. That's, you're getting real news. And it's it is complete bullshit. Well, you know, that's all it is well, flowing out of there. Well, it's complete and utter bullshit. Right. There was a time, there was a time, I think, when I'll say, I, don't, I won't say liberal necessarily, but certainly where um, non-conservative, uh, where, where non-conservative media you know, whether, you know, I would say more objective, some may have been liberal, but certainly most, I think, were, were pretty objective, you know, where they, you know, not, they were dominant. There's no question. But since the rise of talk radio, you know, back in the, uh, in the, in the late 1980s, you know, when talk radio began to really rise and you had your Rush Limbaugh's and your and uh, um, and others, I can't think of all their names, but when they mm-hmm. began to come on the scene, um, you know, that, that began to change. And now yeah. you look at the media landscape, and, you know, for them to keep talking about, you know, the mainstream media, the lamestream media, like you just said, I mean, <laughs> it got so many conservative uh, outlets out there that that just doesn't hold water anymore. In fact, yeah. I would argue and, that they probably dominate. Uh, if you want, to, if anybody's dominating, if anybody's dominating, they are. Yeah, well, and it's just you look at at that domination. Um, 
like you talked about, and, and you see it every day in the absolute nonsense that the voters in the, in those for those part for that party believe. I mean, just I mean, just look at the phony, made up scandals that they have they have you know driven for the past ah, hell as long as I've been alive. Uh, I mean, but it's just. It's just one right after the other, after the other, after the other. You know, and they use social media great. They've you know, got they've got a great social media strategy. And in some ways, listen. In some ways, I am very much in awe of the way that they've been able to do this, and the way that they they are so successful at it, over and over again to get all of these people, you know, spouting the same policy lines on things and the same talking points. And I mean, to, to get them to do that over and over and over again, you don't have that on the Democratic side. You don't have you, you can't you, you don't have the 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 leader of, of the House Democrats making a statement on immigration and then 17 different outlets spouting the same exact talking point on radio, on TV, on, uh, you know, on whatever, you know, and all of them talking about it constantly like that and, and using the exact same terminology and the exact same wording, all of it uh, to drive home those points, you know, to, to the average voter who, you know, is going is a working dude that's going to work every day and hears it on the radio or hears some sees a post from one of his friends on Facebook. And now that's his talking point mm-hmm. is, you know, this nonsense. And, you know, they've done it with so many things. They the, the number of people that they have convinced to vote against themselves is remarkable using this thing. I mean, just the arguments today from working class people against unions is so astronomically stupid that it drives me to a, to a migraine. You know, to listen to people talk, oh, well, those unions, you know, they just, you know, just taking those dudes for the fat cats at the top. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just like, where do you think the money's going now, man? Not in your pocket. You think those guys at the, uh, at the at the car manufacturing plants are feeling bad about the unions today? After that raise over the last uh, last yeah. weekend, think that's that's happening? Right. And I, and I was going to say, even if even if there are, you know, somewhere in, in some wood paneled room, you know, cigar smoking fat cats, you know, running a union. <laughs> Uh, I would dare say that even even while they benefit, if they do benefit in that way, that they're doing a, a heck of a lot better job of making sure that the that the average union uh, member is benefiting than yeah. go to the Republican side of this thing, where um, you know they they want to make sure that the people at the very top of the economic ladder benefit with tax cuts at government expense. And they don't give a freak, a flip about the rest of you people down at the, nope. <laughs> at the lower end of the, they don't at all, you know, man. If you, if you get it, get it fine. If you don't, Oh, well, you know, that's uh, what is that survival of the fittest? I mean, that's, yep. that's, that's where they're coming from, you know, don't so, care at so if all. I'm going to, if I'm going to see anybody at the top benefit, I'd rather I'd rather entrust it with the union folks who at least have yes. the decency to make sure that other people are doing well. Too. I mean, it's <laughs> and, and you know the other thing about that is is it's all math, man. Yeah. You know, people are like this union is like this mysterious thing that's happening over there. No, no, it's not mysterious at all. They take a percentage. They guarantee to ar- uh, to bargain for a percentage of the profits of the company. 
It's a profit-sharing organization that's there that's meant to, bar, to, to argue on your behalf for profit-sharing. That's all it is. You can see the numbers. When you have a union, you get to see the numbers. You get to see what's going to your health care, what's going to your benefits, what's going to your retirement plan, what's going to your uh, to your salary increases over the course of the next few years. And you get to see what the profit margins are. And you get to see what all the top executives are making. Mm. And you get to understand better how the flow of cash is working within the company. And it's just, it, it's nonsense that, that people are arguing against this because maybe this one time, this guy got buried in Meadowland Stadium. You know, it just, you know what I mean? It's just so dumb. It's just, um, but uh, it, it drives me nuts to, to see that you know, people believe that the economy is terrible right now. And, and that's dry. And, and in a lot of ways, the economy is based on the feelings of people. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I know that there are, there, listen, I understand there are concrete things that matter within it, but the, a lot of it is feeling as well. Mm-hmm. And Perception, when a, sure. a large group of people believe that it's bad and they do certain things with their money, it hurt, it can hurt the well, economy. The stock market um, is, is certainly influenced by perception. Sure it is. Yeah. Sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and so, you know, to me right now, we could have, um, we could have one of the greatest economies. Actually, we do have one of the greatest economies uh, in recent memory uh, from from just a number standpoint. I mean, it is it's remarkable what has happened under this Biden administration, especially in the area of unemployment. And you, listen, you can say, well, it's the recovery from, uh, you know, from the pandemic. And, and I'll grant you a, a substantial number of those uh, job gains were. Uh, but at the same time, the fact that we've held on to so many of them and then increased them when people expected everything to tail off for because of inflation and other uh, other factors i mean it's been remarkable the way this has held on for so long and you know i think maybe the uh the inflation reduction act might have had a little role in you know reducing inflation i don't know call me crazy uh, but it just I don't know, it, man. It, the, the misinformation and the way people go about it is is always been so so weird to me. The things people choose to believe, and this is one of them. I mean, I understand what everybody's telling you on TV, but you know the reality should be telling you something different. Mm-hmm. Now, all right. Speaking of uh, reality, when we come back, we're going to oh, have uh, wait, with this representative. Wait, wait, wait. Got to do one. Oh thing. wait, I'm sorry. Rose. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. We did have one other thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, we gotta. We gotta. We got to at least take a few minutes to pay tribute to, and I want to say her name correctly. It's not it's not Rosalind Carter. It's Rosalind Carter. Rosalind Carter, um, the uh, the former first lady of our country. Uh, she and her husband Jimmy Carter were a formidable duo as president and first lady. And in fact, she was a, uh, I think many would argue that she really set the prototype for the types of first ladies that we saw in, um, in Hillary Clinton. And uh, she was the prototype for the Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama model, I think, of, yeah. of being engaged and on some level active uh, from a policy standpoint uh, in their husband's presidencies. Um, yeah. You know, very, uh, very uh, spiritual people, um, mm-hmm. very, uh, very active in the post-presidency life, doing good, 
you know, mm-hmm. through Habitat for Humanity and in other ways. Um, and I personally, uh, I never met or saw Mrs. Carter in person, but I did see former President Carter. And uh, it was interesting how he was such a little man. Um, yeah. But, uh, and, and I don't mean that uh, in a disparaging way, but he just really wasn't that tall. And at that point in his life, which was about uh, 20 years ago, I guess, he was a, a little a little frail, perhaps, or beginning to be a little frail, um, but still was, you know, walking on his own and so forth and so on and, and very much alert and, cog- you know, his, his, cog- his cognitive acuity was strong. But I got to tell you, to see that man and to see him take the positions that he took in his post-presidency as well as his president, you know he had to have a very good woman standing by his side, yeah. and yeah. that was Mrs. Uh, Rosalind Carter. Yeah, it's uh, oh, Rosalind Carter. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, you know it, you're right. They are, you know, this is what they're, they're what everybody should aspire to be. Honestly, I mean, you know, they they were good good people. Um, you know, despite uh, you know statements to the contrary, uh, Jimmy Carter was a very good president. Um, he was, um, a very good human being all through his life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it, it, you know, he and, and, uh, Barack Obama are probably, um, the two most admirable, uh, I would say presidents, at least of of my lifetime. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just looking at, at who they were, how they conducted themselves, what they did. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think Obama was probably, or not probably was a more successful president, um, in terms of policy things and stuff he was able to accomplish. But, um, you know, I, I just think that the two of them were, were just, you know, they're what you should aspire to be, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, it's that simple. It's what, they're what you should aspire to be. And, um, and, and, uh, Rosalind Carter was, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, the, what she took on, you're right. She transformed the first lady's role and, and turned it into a position of advocacy for a number of different groups. And, uh, mental health was a big, a big push of hers. And, uh, I think she may, had great success in that and what they were able to do as a couple after he left the white house and, uh, moved back to their ranch home and, uh, Plains, Georgia, and just the life that they lived, the simple little life that they lived when they, it didn't have to be that way. You know, they could have done other things. They could have done, you know, and, and made, I'm sure they made a plenty of money, but you know, they could have made so much more yeah. um, and done so much more, but they chose to give back. And it's, it's a very admirable thing that they did. And, and, you know, I hate that she passed away. Uh, I think the world's probably a little better or a little worse off than, than, uh, than it was before she, uh, before she did, but it was a nice, long, fulfilling life that she led. And we should all be so lucky. I think. Amen. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's do slide out now. Uh, we're going to come back with a representative Sam Jones and, uh, talk about some of the issues that are coming up in the upcoming legislative session. We'll be back in a minute. Alabama politics this week brought to you by Wing Creek Entertainment. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review 
our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Um, you know, people might pay us to do this. Well, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Josh doesn't like don't, that. Don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moo, David Person, and we are happy now to have with us uh, former mayor of Mobile, current state rep, uh, Sam Jones. Uh, Representative Jones, thank you for uh, spending a little bit of time with us. Sure, thank you. Absolutely. Hey, you know, we wanted to have you on because right now, I think the two biggest topics, you know, real topics, I'm not talking about some of the crazy nonsense that Republicans are doing off, you know, that they, they like to talk about with library books or whatever the other nonsense is. But the two real topics, I think, uh, that's going to be brought up are school choice and gambling. Um, and, and I know you have some, you know, some pretty unique perspectives on that. I know the gambling issue, uh, you, were, you were one of the, uh, the main cogs on, a, uh, on a, a group that was put together uh, to examine the gaming issue in the state. And then also on school choice, I know that you have been, uh, that's something that, that you care a lot about. And as being a you know, former mayor of a large city in the state, you have some pretty unique perspectives on things. And, and so I, let me, let's start, I think, with the least uh, complicated issue, uh, at least outside looking in, and that's school choice. Um, because I, I think it just boils down to whether or not you want to give people free money to send their kids to private school and uh, and take it away from public schools. But I would love to hear your kind of perspective on this. Well, you know, uh, I think that we are all concerned um, when it comes to taking money from public education, uh, actually sending it to private schools. We still believe that public education is not properly funded to the level that we think it should be funded. And we think that in many communities, uh, school choice would really devastate a number of school systems. And, you know, when it really comes to rural areas, also some of the inner cities, uh, there are some problems now in some of those schools as it relates to them being able to get teaching units to to actually do the things that they need to do to provide a quality education. And a lot of those teaching units actually go to private schools uh, rather than coming to public schools. So we have a teacher shortage, and, and that's something that we have to balance. But more important than that is it really kind of changes the scope of public education in, in the state as a whole. And so our concern is that how will it, what do we do to make sure that it doesn't adversely affect public education in the state of Alabama? I haven't heard the, the answer to that yet. And, you know, I, I would really like to see us have some dialogue in Montgomery on that particular issue because it is an issue. Yeah, you know, whenever, whenever they talk about uh, school choice, you know, and they uh, they make it sound so simple. Well, we just want the money to follow the kid, you know. We just want the we just want this money to follow these students around, and uh, you know, and, and really, uh, we're, this is something that's available to everybody. Anybody could take advantage of this. We're giving poor kids an opportunity to opt out and go to better schools, and you know, I, I have long argued that if you want to do school choice, 
I'll, I'll be behind your school choice plan. If you say to me, the school choice plan is these kids can go to any school in the county that they want to go to, and we will provide transportation for free and reduced lunch kids. And of course, you know, the folks that are in, in Hoover and Mountain Brook and those places, they scream, oh, no, we can't, you know, we can't do that. There's no way. And so, you know, it just seems to me that you're taking, uh, you're, giving, you're giving people who already have an advantage a leg up. And in the meantime, you're going to leave kids in, in schools that you are, you're currently describing as failing, basically. And you're going to leave them there with, that, with less funding than what they had. And, and that's true. I, I think that that's exactly the case. And uh, what winds up happening with that, it actually, in my opinion, sends education backwards. Um, we are now at a point where we got kids from all over the, the community that's going to schools where they all can work together. And sometimes, you know, um, when kids get together from different communities and, and different income levels, it, it really assists in the education process more than anything else. It doesn't take away from it. But when you take and, and say, okay, um, we're going to give you school choice, in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of families send the kids to want to have the best football team, <laughs> or the best band, or, or the popular yeah. school in the area, which takes away from the entire concept of public education. And I think that that's one of the things that you see uh, most of the people who are in our caucus be concerned about. How does it erode the schools in these low-income areas and areas of that where you have a lot of the kids that's below the poverty level? They depend on free lunches. They depend on transportation. They depend on things that uh, many of us take for granted. So I, I think that that's one of the problems we have, as well as it could also cause segregation of the schools again. It, it, it really could do that. Uh, it, 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 that might not be the intent, but it really can be the effect of school choice. Well, I, I'm glad you made that point. Uh, I would argue that the schools are already segregated, but but it will certainly create a more formalized or functional segregation. Maybe is a better way to say it. In that it'll it'll be um, uh, probably done much more overtly and in mass, but. But uh, I also want to bring up this point, uh, Representative Jones. Um, it seems to me like, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I am an old school um, Protestant cat when it comes to issues like this. And the first thing I think about is church and state. Yeah. I'm a hard line separating the church from the state. I believe that is essential in order for us to have a functional democracy. And in my opinion, this whole, this whole school choice thing uh, often is set up to erode that because it takes public money and, and helps to prop up, or maybe that's too loaded a word, so I'll say it takes public money and sends it to private religious institutions therefore blurring the lines between church and state. What are your thoughts about that? Do you have any concern about that? There are some examples here in Mobile. When, when you look at um, schools that were ran by various church groups, um, when those parents were not able to pay the tuition for those kids, uh, then the schools dwindled to a very small number 
And a way to actually supplement that is with school choice. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, they, they got the money to go now. They had a money, very popular school at one time, but because of the change in communities, because of gentrification in a lot of different areas, uh, those schools were not doing well. And you know they, they would benefit from school choice, even though it would really make the school down the street, that's a public school, brand new public school, suffer in terms of the the uh, student population within that particular school. So uh, it, it it is a problem. I, I agree with you. That is a problem, and it does wound up um, segregating schools. But then what you will hear is, well, that's not our intent. Our mm -hmm. intent is to give people the choice. You know, so um, it, it, it's kind of like we're doing it, but don't say we're doing it because that's not what we wrote it up to be. Uh, you, right. We just left that out of it, I guess. Yeah, and it also is done in such a way that it seems like it's always the the poorer schools um, and school districts that end up supplementing uh, these, you know, the the opportunities that people, I mean, people who say they want school choice often, not always, but often it seems to me are people who already have the ability based on their, their economic standing to make certain choices. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it seems to me as though this happens at the expense of people who really don't have a choice when that money flows out of their school system or away from their school, they, you know, as much as they would like to say, well, everybody can take advantage of it. We know there, there are realities in place that would prevent that. Just, you know, common sense says everybody's not going to be able to go every place because of, as Josh talked about earlier, whether it's due to transportation issues, uh, whether it's due to, um, uh, you know, just the capacity of a school to accept students. I mean, it seems to me like they're 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 making an argument that really can't be substantiated. I, I would think that if um, the state decides that it wants to supplement education for private schools, it should not be at the expense of public schools. Uh, I just I, I just believe that I, I believe that if you want to do that, say that's what you want to do. And, and you know, see if you can get that passed. But to actually have that affect the public school system, we get these reports every year about our entire school system. And we, as was said earlier, we get this list of failing schools. And you know, uh, it, it's difficult when we have teachers and administrators working extremely hard to help kids and they're considered failing schools. Actually, nobody really wants to send their kid to a failing school. I, I really think the terminology of that ought to change, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there are some efforts to do that. But school choice has a lot of different results in the community, a lot of different results within communities. And especially in poor and low-income communities, there are going to be some more hardships that's placed upon those communities as a result of it. And it's strictly because, you know, you look at Alabama with all the other states in the United States, uh, we're considered a poor state in, in, in the country. We're considered a poor state. And I, I think that um, we are basically known, I, one of the things I kidded some of my friends about is I read more about sports in the newspaper in Alabama than I do anything else. We, <laughs> we have great football folk now throughout the state, but as far as it, 
relates to trying to deal with this poverty issue, this mm -hmm. health issue, this mental health issue, um, Medicaid expansion. Those are things that are not priorities for the most part in, for the majority of, of our legislative process. So, you know, we ought to start dealing with how do we enhance what we have and not find ways to dismantle it. I want to switch gears for uh, we for just a second and uh, and talk a little bit about gambling. Um, you know that, that that's going to be the uh, another big issue. And from what I can tell from uh, everything and and actually talking to uh, Speaker Ledbetter, um, you know that there, there's going to be a push by leadership uh, in the upcoming session uh, to to do this. And you know, and I from what I can tell, it's going to be very similar. The The bill that they put out is going to be very similar to the one that they tried a couple of sessions back, which is a comprehensive gaming bill that uh, would establish several casinos around the state, uh, regulate it, put an entity in place to control it and, and, uh, and oversee the gaming at those sites and also just kind of squash out some of the illegal gaming uh, that they say is taking place now and then also establish a statewide lottery and, and possibly enter into a compact with the uh, Porch Creek Indian. Indians. And um, so I, I wanted to kind of get, I know you've been on one of these commissions uh, or these committees that have, that have studied this issue. Uh, what, you know, what is your perspective on this and, and how do you feel this is going to go? Uh, I actually chair the gaming committee for the Democratic Caucus. Right. And um, we've worked on this for some time. We spent a lot of time on this. In our pro-growth conference, we actually brought experts from throughout the country on gaming, to look at areas like uh, regulations, on compacts, on what's what we what should be done, what shouldn't be done, based on what the industry, what has happened to the industry in other places over the years, including some of our boarding states. And um, I think that the approach we've had in the past, and what I've basically seen, I've seen some articles about uh, what various people think about gaming. I don't think you start with a new approach with old ideas. I, I really think that as far as the illegal gaming, if we put together the right kind of legislation, we put together a constitutional amendment that effectively address all areas of gaming, mm -hmm. I think then that take care of itself. I don't think you start by going back rehashing what has been what's been actually put on the table for the last 15 years. Now, um, some people say, well, we got all these, in fact, a broad brush, brush approach is we got all these illegal gaming operations. Well, we do have some, mm -hmm. but not they are all illegal, that's yet to be determined because they're in litigation right now about that. That's right. Areas. The mm -hmm. other thing about that is we have got to come up with a comprehensive plan that addresses the regulatory side of game. But it cannot be one that promotes um, a process where it's a cold shop that other people can't compete. It can't be that approach. It can't be an approach that we wipe out everybody who's small and just deal with people who are big. It, it can't be that kind of approach. This mm -hmm. got to be an approach where we come up with the standard, we come up with the regulation, we come up with a enforcement on it. What we're doing now, from what I hear, is it appears to me that we're getting in an enforcement side rather than the we're lawmakers. <laughs> That's what right. we make the law. And and I think the Attorney General has the role of enforcing it. Now, 
if we've been having casinos operate for 15 and 20 years and they're still operating, then, you know, it's not uh, the law that's that caused it because most of them operate by a constitutional amendment. Most of them are yeah. local constitutional amendment. That's not a decision that the legislature makes. That's the courts make that decision, the attorney general and the lawyers for those particular facilities. Let's leave that to them. Let us come together and put together an approach that can be both bipartisan and effective and put together an overall plan that will address all those issues, as well as address the issue of the ills that we have in the state, such as health care, mental health, education, all those other issues. That's what our role is, and that's the role we'd like to see, and that's what uh, I think we want to talk to them about. It's, it's no doubt that they have our priorities. We, I delivered them to them myself, so I know they have right. our priorities and, and what our do's and don'ts are of gaming. So uh, we, we started with that approach. I think a bipartisan approach, sitting down and meeting before any legislation is put in the hopper is the absolute best approach to take to this. Other than that, we're going to start off fighting. If, right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, this is one of those rare uh, issues where even though there's a, a Republican supermajority, uh, they're going to need Democratic votes uh, to get this thing passed. Most well, I think that um, there are some people in their caucus that has some issues with, with gaming, period. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the thing about our caucus is we don't have a lot of opposition to gaming, but the details of what's important. Yeah. Everybody wants to see gaming, but what happens, what betters the lives of citizens in Alabama when it happens? What keeps right. it from going to the point where we got so many violations? We have to have a regulatory authority established. We, we have to have people that inspect facilities regularly established. And keep in mind that in many of these facilities, the local sheriffs were the people who actually was in charge of people following the law. It, it wasn't right. about outside of that. So it, it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as, uh, I heard someone say, let's clean all of that up before we do anything else. Well, don't expect anything this yeah. session. If you expect yeah. to clean all that up before we do anything else, because yeah. it's going to take some time to clean it up. Everybody has the right to go to court. Everybody has the right to challenge the law. But the challenges are not short-term. It, it takes right. time to get that done. So I, yeah, I think that's not the approach we ought to take. Right. I think we ought to have a completely new approach for it and try to reach some common ground before we even put it on the table. I want to make sure I'm understanding you before we uh, before we have to let you go, Representative Jones. It sounds like you're saying that statewide legalized gambling is inevitable and absolutely necessary. Is that what I'm hearing you say? And I, I think, yes, and I'm saying that because of this. Uh, COVID funding is over. We can't expect the federal government to prop us up in future budget years. And of all the things I've heard that's going to take, if we're going to continue to be a billion-dollar prison, if we're mm -hmm. going to continue to provide services like we are providing and then address all of these new issues that we have, then we're going to have to have additional revenue to do that. Gaming is a good way to, to get that revenue. But we have to do it in a very comprehensive, very well thought out and well designed approach in order to, to actually regulate it properly. Well, I'll, I, I want to follow up with this question. In light of what you said, and I don't disagree with what you said, by the way, let me be clear. I do not disagree with you at all. Um, I think practically speaking, history shows us 
because we've got such a we're such a tax averse state, you, you got to find revenue somewhere. So I, I don't disagree with you. But it seems to me that we've been talking about I've been in this state for over 40 years and I've been conscious of this debate for probably 25 to 30 years as a professional media person, journalist, broadcaster, et cetera. Um, and we haven't made any progress. None. <laughs> zero. Zilch. My question is, what makes you think at this particular point in time that we're going to achieve this? How do we know that we won't be talking about this for another 40 years? If we if we take the wrong approach going into this session, then you are absolutely right. We could be talking about it for years to come. But if we try a new approach, approaching it as putting together all of the tools that it takes to properly establish and regulate gaming in the state, and at the same time develop a distribution of revenue approach that people know what gaming is going to do to enhance the state as a whole. They also know what's legal and what's not illegal. That's a big question right now in Alabama. And I think you start at that point, putting all that together and putting it on the table with a bipartisan approach to saying, this is the way we need to do it because this is what benefits the citizens of Alabama. And, and I think that we have to look at all those things. We, we have to look at right now, I think it would be interesting for you to find what revenue does the state get from the gaming that's taking place in the state right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you really look at it, that, yeah. you know, when you look at the approach, it was not properly laid out. And I think we have to do that. Even one of my, this is just one of my personal issues. Um, it was set up that in the past legislation that we have five casinos uh, that, that the governor was saying she'd like to see five casinos. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with naming a piece of land that it has to be on. I have a problem with that. Because mm -hmm. what that does is it limits competition. It limits new approaches. And it limits people within this state from participating in the ownership side of game. Mm -hmm. So I, I you know, there's a lot involved in this. This is this is not just, well, let's let's sure. let's fix it so we all can gamble. I mean, it's it's more to it than that. Yeah, no, and it's a you know it's a it's a very complicated, and people don't you know I don't think a lot of people appreciate the complexities uh, of this, and there's so many things that go into it, and there there are arguments on both sides. Matter of fact, I've made an argument uh, counter to 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 the argument you just made about the establishing a piece of land, and my argument has always been. Um, I understand the, the competition issue that you're talking about, but at the same time, we have these businesses who have been here in this state for however many years. Uh, they have, the, they have the, the authority to operate those games and have operated those games in those locations for a number of years. And so essentially, you're going to take decades-old business, Alabama-owned businesses, and put them out of business overnight by changing the laws that they had fought for for years. And so I, I just felt like there, there was something wrong with that. But let me expound upon that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says that it can't be on that site. Right. But that site should not be what the decision to rather gaming comes to Mobile County or rather goes to Macon County. Macon County has a facility. You know, they were built as dog traps. Oh, sure. <laughs> but they were. Yeah. And that's fine. I, I love yeah. to see some of those owners be in the gaming business if they're going to be in the business. 
But mm -hmm. I, what I wouldn't like to see is someone to come from somewhere else and buy all of them before we finish up. <laughs> right. We got a monopoly. Is what we right. Want. No, no. That's and I think I think there needs to be language in in anything that's done to to ensure that there is no monopoly and that the licenses have to be held for a number of years and uh and and all that and 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 you know I, the, as we're seeing with the current marijuana problems uh, also you know close a yeah, lot of the loopholes that some people are going to try to get through on these things. But Brilliant. listen, I. It, yeah, it's 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 a comp it's a it's so complicated. And whenever you hear somebody say we just need to clean up this illegal gaming, I mean, you, I know you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you you've not spent any time in this because a lot of those people are very much legal. I mean, they've gone through the steps to do these things in these counties where, I mean, they've got a constitutional amendment. The people in those counties voted for it, approved it. They go to it all the time. They rely on it for tax dollars. They they prop up great organizations, charitable organizations in those counties. And it's just, you know, to, to listen to some people talk about it, you would never know that. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have is so many people just hear gambling and they either turn it off or they're completely against it and and that's their their stance on this you thing. have a, you have an opportunity to clear all that up with the statewide mm -hmm. constitutional amendment right it sets what the standards are for anybody who in gaming you know you, you the other thing is you have no limitation presently you can open 15 of them in one county uh the bottom line is that all of that needs to be addressed in a comprehensive piece of legislation that considers all the various parts of the gaming process. And mostly what we hear in the media is just one part of it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot involved in it. Our caucus for several months have dealt with experts in the field all over the country. And we were really amazed at the number of things you have to address when you want to put together a comprehensive approach to starting a gaming operation on the state. Yeah. No, it is. It it is, and uh, you know. Listen, I wish y'all luck uh, with it, uh, with that, with school choice, with the whole deal, and uh, and I know we we certainly appreciate y'all being there, and uh, you know the Democrats kind of putting up a, a fight against uh, you know for the betterment of the state and for the betterment of the people. So uh, one, thank you for that. Thing, and one thing yeah. I'd like to add is that I have not seen anyone in the Democratic caucus who is just totally against gaming. Period. Mm -hmm. They are more concerned about not just the game being available in the state, but what does the game do for the state as right. all the people in the state? That's that's what we're concerned about. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's absolutely the right focus is, you know, is to make sure that this this funding that there's gonna be a massive amount of funding that comes in off of this if we ever get be passed. A amount if, if we continue to expend expend it in the media. I mean right. we, we spend most of it if you listen right. to the proposals we see. So that's that's another reason why we need a comprehensive approach. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right, listen, uh, Representative Jones, thank you so much for spending that's some time with us and, and shedding light on these things. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to have you with us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a, that is a representative Sam Jones. He is great. Um, they, they do. I mean, it's, it's nice to have, you know, folks like him, uh, in the legislature that, uh, that do that kind of work and, and make sure that we've got the, the I's dotted and the T's crossed and that the folks know what they're doing and, and are looking out for everybody. Uh, let's, uh, let's slide out. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute to wrap this up. It's Alabama politics this week, back in a minute.
If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Uh, it's, it's nice to have uh, uh, Representative Jones on. He's a, he's a knowledgeable fellow. And sure. um, yeah, and he, 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 you can tell from the gambling issue when, when he takes on something like that, he digs into the, mm-hmm. you know, into the, into the roots of the thing and he gets to the bottom of, of kind of what's going on and kind of likes to approach it with a, the more information, the better uh, kind of approach. And, and that's, I, you know, I, I appreciate that for one. Uh, like I said, we, he and I disagree a little bit on the, you know, on the way the gambling thing should be. I understand his arguments for competition. I just think it, I think it's unfair to take those people who have run these businesses for so many years and have done so in all respect to the arguments. Otherwise they have done so according to the laws. Um, And they have run very good businesses and have been very good citizens. And nobody has really had a complaint about them in terms of how they've operated uh, the things that they've done around there. I, I think, I think it's just unfair to to write legislation one day that closes those businesses down. I just think that's that's mm-hmm. an unfair prospect and I think what's only fair is to say you're going to have to locate them on these on these pieces of land and I think there are other reasons for doing that such as uh, the the people in those communities have already voted to legalize gaming so you know establishing gaming in their thing and that uh, that you know they'll be supportive of of the other things that are coming there and also they have managed gaming there at class three gaming for years. And there are certain security issues and other stuff that goes into that, that they're going to be in front of already. So that to me is my argument. If you want to make a different argument, that's fine. But I think that the Porch Creeks, uh, the McGregor family, uh, the the Nat Wynn and some of that group in Greene County, I think those people do a, a very good job of managing their facilities and have tried over the years to conduct their business while also meeting the requirements of the laws. I would argue that it's antithetical to uh, capitalism to um, deprive existing successful business owners of an opportunity to continue to yeah. uh, be successful. You know, understandably, you know, the environment in our state needs to change. Uh, as it relates to gambling, and that's that's I think everybody would would agree with that, but uh, but certainly existing businesses shouldn't be deprived of the opportunity to continue to operate, yeah. and to operate at a at a way that's you know that gives them an equal chance to be successful. I mean that that seems that seems to be that's not capitalism right. as far as I can tell. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too. Now, as far as it, it doesn't guarantee that these folks get to have the license. All mm-hmm. it guarantees is that those folks own the land upon which you can build a casino in the state. And so you can then go, if, if you're a group coming from outside of this state, MGM or whoever, you know, and, and they want to, they, they want to buy the license. 
and they're going to outbid somebody for a license or that however the process is going to work, then all that does is guarantee that you're not closing down a decades old state run business, you know, or, or, you know, state citizen owned business Mm -hmm. and, and giving them nothing, you know, you at least give them something where they can sell off the property if that, you know, and, or lease the property or whatever, and they're able to continue on without, uh, you know, being a zero sum for them. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's just, I, I I think that there, that that's a fair way to go about it. And I, I just, you know, to me, I, I just think it's unfair. Exactly what you said. I think it's you, you. You're basically squeezing these folks out, and because you changed the laws one day that they've been fighting themselves to change for years, you know. And uh, so, but yeah, you know, that's that's an argument that will be had in the legislature, and then the voters will get to decide. So, uh, all right, before we uh, we get to our right wing nut, we wanted to bring up uh, the there is a there's a rarity in this state. Uh, there is in the second congressional district. Running for that new seat, that newly drawn seat, is Wallace Gilberry, who is a former University of Alabama football player. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gilberry is a black man, and he is running on the Republican ticket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about Wallace Gilberry. Uh, you know, he was around, I think, uh, at the time when I covered some sports at Alabama, but I, I did not know a whole lot about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just learning about him too. Uh, I, I I wasn't, um, as you know, I'm not I'm not real big on the uh, on the state religion of uh, uh, Auburn and Alabama football. So I that's... Right, and we're not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've 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 uh, I've visited the church once or twice, but I hadn't hadn't made a commitment to join. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will say um, the. Um, Reading up on this guy uh, has been very interesting, and and uh, apparently he has been uh, he does not appear to be a a uh, Johnny come lately to conservatism. When he was in the NFL, apparently, uh, I'm trying to remember the team he played for. Uh, was it the Bengals or somebody? I don't remember, but whoever he was playing for, um, you know, he took pride in the fact that his team. Uh, did not um, did not kneel uh, during the uh, the Black Lives Matters uh, demonstrations that were being led by Colin Kaepernick and others. Um, you know, he apparently took pride in that fact, and um, and he believes. Uh, you know, you know, if you look at some of the quotes from him. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious that uh, yeah, it was the Bengals. That's who he played for, the Bengals. Um, at least one of the teams he played for, and uh, he 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 takes a lot of pride in the fact that you know um, uh, he's not a uh, he's not a uh, um, a liberal or a Democrat. Uh, you know, he seems to buy into a lot of the uh, the talking points that we talked about earlier, Josh, as it relates to the economy and uh, what what the Republican party offers as opposed to what Democrats offer. So uh, one thing I find interesting about this is uh, I'm assuming he was recruited, you know, by the Republican party. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that I may be Mm -hmm. wrong, but I'm assuming that he was recruited and they may think that having a, a black face, you know, is going to make uh, a significant difference in their ability to compete for that seat. And I would just say uh, to uh, our Republican friends out there, uh, 
don't believe the hype. Don't believe <laughs> the hype. Black people are very, very accustomed to uh, making a distinction between Thurgood Marshall, for example, and Clarence Thomas. We don't just buy, we don't buy into the fact that just because somebody is black, that they are deserving of our vote or our support. You know, just as you didn't see black people flocking to support Ben Carson during his mm-hmm. presidential run. Or, or what was the businessman who died? I can't remember his name now. Um, oh, Mr. Uh, 777? Yeah, uh, uh, Herman Cain. Or was it 999? Was it 999? Yeah, Herman, some, Herman Cain, some, right? Some crazy... Yeah, I can't remember. But uh, Becky, Becky Stan Stan. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Um, yeah. Herman Cain, that's who it was. You know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not uh, so monolithic that uh, that we just uh, follow any black face that, that comes along. We we know how to make a distinction between black people who are advocating or espousing points of view that are beneficial to our community and black people who ain't. And uh, based on what I'm seeing so far from what I'm reading about Mr. Gilberry, he would be in the ain't category. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to give him got to give him a break. He played for the Giants and the uh, pre Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs and the pre Burrow uh, uh, yeah, Bengals. So, you know, he's probably got knocked around quite a bit. Um, and so he's. <laughs> You know, uh, it's, so that's it's, what uh, it is. Okay. Yeah, I, it just uh, I, honestly, I I don't know anything about Wallace Gilberry. I don't, I don't, and and I don't think it's going to matter much. Uh, you know, maybe he'd get a he can get a, a gig as a as a Republican representative, state rep from the, you know, in in the legislature at some point. Um, but I I just I I don't I, I mean it's always so confusing to me to see. Uh, black folks in the Republican Party, okay, align themselves with the Republican Party, given, especially in Alabama, what they have stood for and what and what they stand for. The, you know, we all know what they do. We we know we've seen it year in and year out. And even if we don't get into the weeds of policy, uh, and in the weeds of, or, or even if we don't get into the vilification of black people by the Republican Party, where mm. you know, because y- y'all know that's who they're talking about when they talk about welfare queens, right? There you uh, go. They, they, you yeah. know, they don't, you know, when they they conjure up those images, it's never a white face that they're conjuring up, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and but you know, we also know the other things, the the, the Confederate monuments, and yeah. uh, you know, and and all of all of the stuff that they've done, uh, you know, the the attacks on Black Lives Matter, uh, the supporting of police against all evidence. Uh, showing that that there's something going 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 on there, which r- reminds me of something else. When I get through with this tirade, I was going to mention, um, but it just it always confuses me to see somebody who can accept that amount of abuse on uh, people who look like them and people who are like them, um, and and then to say, well, but they make some good economic choices. You know, uh, which obviously I would argue that as well. But whatever, if you're, you know, right. a former NFL player that made some good investment decisions, maybe you've got some money in the the Republican side of that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, agrees with you and your thinking and your bank account. I, you know, okay, whatever. Uh, but is it enough? Is it really enough to get you over that hump and see what they do with every everything else to directed at the black community in this state? Is it really enough? 
That's I, I mean, that's the question, man. That's the question. And and apparent and you know, and I'm just again, I think we we who are black have seen this enough to know that for a certain percentage of black people, the answer is yes, it is enough. And it's bewil- it, 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 it befuddles me, it bewilders me. You don't get it, I don't get it. The reality is, it is what it is. They're just, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you, you, <laughs> like we like to say in our community sometimes, there's always one. There's yeah. always one. <laughs> there's always you know? one. Well, uh, and the one thing I wanted to bring up is I wrote a column okay. earlier this week uh, about what's happening in Decatur uh, with Stephen yeah. Perkins stuff. Um, and, uh, and I, this is, uh, I, 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 so we, you know, we spent some time there over, over the holidays in the catering. Of course, the catering's not very far from my, I go back and forth a fair amount anyways, because my parents live there. Um, and I grew up in Decatur, know a lot of people from Decatur still, uh, are Facebook friends with a lot of people from Decatur. It is remarkable what is happening in that city as it relates to the shooting of Stephen Perkins. Mm. Um, and, and I say that in a very positive way. Um, I have, I, I, there, there, I can't tell you how many friends that I have from that city who we disagree on pretty much everything politically. We're still friends, but we, we disagree on, on a lot of things mm. politically who have the, I am Steve Perkins signs, the justice for Steve signs, the where the shirts have been to the rallies, have gone to the things, post all the time about it on Facebook. I, white, black, Hispanic, uh, male, female, rich, poor, they have taken a stand against the shit that went down with Stephen Perkins, and it has forced that city's leadership to do the right things in this. And they're not anti-police. None of these people are anti-cops or anything. They're anti-bad cops. Mm -hmm. They're anti-what happened on those videos. They saw those videos, and I'm sure a lot of them went, well, there's got to be a story here. And when there wasn't a story, they were all, I mean, that whole town, for the most part, I mean, there's a few stragglers and a few, you know, hardliners and things like that. Mm -hmm. But, man, they... But when when is have you ever heard have you ever heard of businesses going out and handing out food proudly to protesters in some of these places in some of these other cities no, you're right. where things like that yeah, have happened yeah. I I'm not, you know and I'm talking about all sorts of different locally owned long established businesses around Decatur have done this mm-hmm. and they've 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 put the signs in their windows they they've encouraged the protesters to come in and eat they've I, it is. I've never seen anything like it. Mm. And, and, and it just, it's very encouraging. It's the way it should be, yes. We shouldn't be so proud of it, no. But to know that it's happened so rarely and to see it happening in Decatur, Alabama, of all the damn places, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's a, it's a I, I can't tell you how encouraged I was to see all of these things, all of the signs, the yard signs, the billboards. They've got billboards all over town. Mm. The justice for Steve, you wow. know, billboards. That people have wow. yes, they've okay. got billboards. That people have contributed money uh, to put up. They've got signs out front of businesses. You know, the little light up signs that have the justice for Steve stuff on them. It is. I'm telling you, some of the city council members have. You know, they started out one way and they have quickly turned the other mm. on this. 
And, and, you know, Jacob Ladner, for one, has said, you know, I'm fed up with the, the amount of time these things are taking. Uh, we have got to get some answers to people and, and do it right. And, I, you know, maybe hopefully next week we're going to start to get some. Now, they've already said uh, the chief is our chief of police has already said that he found that the po- policies were violated mm-hmm. in what took place and that there are four officers who are going to be up for disciplinary action. And nobody has really revealed what that's going to be just yet. Uh, court, allegedly, it's up to the mayor. Uh, but we'll see. And we'll see if they, any of them ultimately face criminal charges. I mm-hmm. believe at least one of them will. will face mm-hmm. a manslaughter charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, it, none of that would have happened without what's going on right now. I don't right. think. I don't think any of that would have happened because we know what their initial reaction was. Their initial reaction was mm-hmm. to lie their asses off about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And so that has all turned. And and I guarantee you that a lot of people are not going to make this connection, but there is a connection to the protest indicator right now and the Black Lives Matters movement. Of course there is. There's an absolute direct connection to it. And, and I also guarantee you that a lot of the people that are supporting these protesters, as you're talking about businesses and, and so forth, they are probably anti-black matter, anti-black lives matters people. A hundred percent. I guarantee you, I, I yeah. bet you, I bet you 75% of the people, uh, white people, I'll yeah. say the 75% of the white people who are supporting this movement indicator have, have said disparaging things about black lives matter. Which, which says to me, A, that um, Mr. Perkins, um, and you can see this from just the, the you know, the, all the comments that I've read and heard about, mm-hmm. he was somebody who uh, people genuinely liked yes. across uh, racial lines and so forth. But it also speaks to just how egregious the police action was. Yes. You know, and um, and in fact, I understand that there is a uh, uh, there's a, a city uh, policy that's probably going to be enacted here. I think the council's got to vote on it, if I understand it correctly, uh, that's going to uh, prohibit nighttime repossessions mm. in part because of what happened to. Well, I think not even in part, but directly because of what happened to Mr. Perkins. So uh, this ought to be a lesson. To everybody, it ought to be a lesson to everybody, uh, but especially to uh, the police uh, in these cities uh, where these kinds of things happen, which includes Huntsville, mm-hmm. and to the uh, and to the elected officials in these cities that uh, they've got to change the way they're doing business. They've yep. got to change the way they're doing business. They've got to change the way they're doing policing because. Mm-hmm. What what they're doing is is offensive across the board, and in many cases, at least when we're talking about these shootings, cannot be justified. No, no, you're right, and and you know, as I pointed out to, I've, I've had had a lot of conversations with people uh, from Decatur, friends of mine I went to school with, uh, who I've known forever, and um, you know, and 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 one of the one of the people was, was that we had uh, I was having a discussion with was was very disparaging of the Black Lives Matter movement, and I said to him, you know, what you're saying here about Steve Perkins and about you not caring about the race of it, it was just wrong. That's all the Black Lives Matter folks ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's all anybody ever wanted was for you to stop saying, well, it was just a black guy. It don't matter. 
and to treat them with the same out to treat the, their mistreatment with the same outrage as you would a white person. Mm-hmm. That's all anybody ever wanted out of that. No, mm-hmm. nobody. It didn't have anything to do with with Black Lives Mattering more or anything else or disparaging anybody. All that mattered was that. And well, you know, okay, if that's what you you know, and, and it was just you know whatever. But it, it, you know, the hopefully the point has been made, and um, you know, and and I wish that um, it it would be something that caught on, um, yeah. you know, and 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 we could we could have this sort of a thing. And I and I honestly, I don't know what it is about Decatur. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, why. Why you know I I think I think you're right about about Steve Perkins and and how many people really genuinely liked him. I know I man I I had no idea I didn't know him, but I have a ton of friends who knew him and knew him well, mm-hmm. um and and stuff. So you know and apparently you know you just run in kind of the same circles as a lot of my friends did. You know when we you know kind of the uh, you know the gym athletics uh, you know kind of basketball circles and stuff and mm-hmm. um and so it just. Honestly, man, I, you know, I just wanted to bring it up because it's 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 something that you don't see every day, and or hell, you hardly ever see, you mm-hmm. know. And and it, I, I just wish it would would continue. And I was kind of proud of the folks there for for doing that. But all right, um, we'll wrap up with our right wing nut. Who is James Comer, hmm. uh, the guy that's uh, leading the uh, uh, impeachment of uh, Joe Biden, uh, and who has been chasing Hunter Biden for years now, years. He's been chasing Hunter Biden and trying desperately to get him to, you know, get him under oath. And so he can pepper him with questions, make mm-hmm. him answer the tough questions about that laptop. Because this was a real scandal, wasn't it? Wasn't this a real scandal? That's what they kept telling us. Huh? Well, I mean, surely if we, if we got Hunter Biden under oath, this whole thing would blow up. We could be able to. We'd have Joe Biden and the whole Biden family in jail before Christmas, wouldn't we? That's what that's what they keep telling us they want. Well, that's not what they wanted, apparently, because last week Hunter Biden said, hey, you want me under oath? I'll go under oath. I'll testify under oath in public at a public hearing. I'll do it. Answer all your questions. I'll sit there like Hillary Clinton did on the Benghazi thing. <laughs> James Comer said, no. It just lead to a bunch of Democrats yelling and screaming about things. And they turned him down. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you see where it is now. You see what it was. It was all a big scam. Yeah. Yeah. And and may, and who knows, maybe uh maybe Comer or somebody else in, in the leadership of the party had flashbacks of Hillary Clinton and Benghazi and realized that didn't really damage her at all. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it may have bolstered her uh, credibility as a candidate. Yeah. And maybe yeah, they right? realized that wasn't quite the way to go. Well, no. The smartest political strategy. No, because when it comes to these Republican scandals, the truth is very rarely the way to go for them, okay? <laughs> it's, it very rarely works out for them. All right, let's, uh, let's get ourselves out of here. We gave y'all a nice long show. Remember, if you don't want to listen to all of it, hit the stop button. Um, so <sighs> until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.